one of my yeah one of my favorite stories is Lenny's wife had this pink brother sewing machine, and that's literally what like, <laughs> we started the original prototypes on. I mean, it, was it had like, to be pink too, didn't it? It had to be pink, actually. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Hunter Camp Down Under. Today's episode is brought to you by Exo Mountain Gear. I've been using the Exo packs for several years now and was super impressed with not only the pack but the support from the team at Exo Mountain Gear. The Exo range of packs are now very well known for their comfort, durability, simplicity, and excellent load hauling capabilities. The packs come in three different sizes, so whether it's a day hunt or a 10 day backpack hunt, there's a pack that will suit you. If you're in the market for a new pack, Make sure an Exo pack is on your hit list. Check out the range of packs at exomountaingear.com. Guys, this podcast is brought to you by Cayuga Broadheads. Now, broadheads can be somewhat of a personal thing and are well debated. But Cayuga's new pilot cut broadhead have been designed, tested, and proven by some of Australia's top bow hunters. The Cayuga pilot cuts come in weights of 125, 150, and 175 grains. The guys have teamed up with the podcast and are offering you guys as our loyal listeners an exclusive discount. Head over to cayugabroadheads.com.au and use the code HCDU10 on checkout and receive 10% off any order. Well, everyone, welcome to the Honey Camp Down Under podcast. Special guest today, Steve Speck from Exo Mountain Gear. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Uh, Honoured to be on here with you. Nah, cheers, man. I appreciate you working in with us. We've got a bit of a... <laughs> Bit of a time difference. It's seven o'clock in the morning here. What's it doing over there? Uh, three o'clock in the afternoon. But awesome. I think we're a day behind you. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's Monday. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. How um, did I get you out of work? Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, fingers we're, kept my fingers off the keyboard typing away on email. So <laughs> it seems hard. to be most of it these days. <laughs> so if I if I hear any clicking in the background, I know what's going on. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, uh, as we as we just we had a bit of a chat before uh, before we kicked off. Uh, we've obviously been chatting for a while, and and uh, and obviously you know greatly appreciate EXO support. So I wanted to give you sort of a you know a bit of a time to, to let us know what EXO Mountain Gear is all is all about, where it came from, a bit about yourself as well. Um, kick us off, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, what uh, what you do apart from EXO Mountain Gear, and uh, how long you've been in the game. Yeah, man. Let's see. Uh, personally, 34 years old right now. Um, started really bow hunting and hunting when I was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of grew up in a, in a hunting fishing family, but we were also very into sports and football. And so that took occupied a lot of the fall. Um, and then, you know, never really. So it wasn't until I was 18 to where I kind of got like pretty serious about it and uh, picked up a bow. And man, that, it was like, you know, all downhill from there. I just became addicted <laughs> to it. And and uh, constantly always on that quest to, you know, get better, learn more, be more successful. Uh, and, and it just kind of drove me to, um, you know, start creating products and get involved in the industry. And, you know, just become a, it became an obsession. Um, and, yeah, here we are. What is it? 16 years later. Holy crap. That's a big number. Uh, <laughs> I started doing the math. <laughs> seems like, yeah, it seems like yesterday. Um but uh, yeah, I was. Um, I've done done quite a bit. When I was 24, um, I I was uh, you know working on bows, kind of like you know we have. I don't know how the archery shops are down there, but up here, um, you know they're they're just really really busy and they can't quite provide the level of customer service that mm-hmm. you know I'm sure even the owners of the shops would like to provide. 
Uh, so getting your bow tuned and dialed in and, and really getting like broadhead shooting well is something that could be a challenge. And I think a lot of people go the route of just figuring out how to do it themselves. And that was definitely me. I kind of bought a bow press and started, you know, working on bows and, and got, um, you know, again, being kind of obsessive about it, spending a lot of time on it. I got, got pretty decent at it and decided to start an archery shop, um, which, uh, became SNS archery. And so I was running like this shop in my garage for quite a few years and, that evolved into a website, which is still running to this day, called snsarchery.com. And uh, along the way, I've done a lot of cool things. I designed a broadhead called the Solid Broadheads. Uh, we started a production company called Pure Elevation Productions. We were making hunting videos and DVDs, did a little TV show stuff. And we still film a little bit of our hunts here and there just for fun. There's a, me and uh, Lenny Nelson, who's the co-owner of EXO, where the, the, he and I founded EXO together. Um and then two other of our buddies, Jason and Tyler. So kind of keeps us getting, make sure we hunt together every year and pack a camera and, and kind of it's fun. If nothing else, it's fun just to relive the memories and watch the footage ourselves. But um, what else? I, I also did an archery shoot called uh, the Northwest Mountain Challenge. Uh, we talked about that a little bit ago. But yeah, uh, um, yeah we do. Um, there's three legs of that every year. We do one Idaho, Oregon, Washington. And uh, it's a really cool archery shoot. You know, that was um, another example of, I guess seeing like a product that I thought could get better, you know, our, our archery shoots were pretty laid back, um, pretty family friendly. And then mm -hmm. like, you know, anyone, everyone could go do it. super easy walking, super easy shots. And, and I kind of felt like there's a niche to do, um, something a little bit more extreme. And that's where that kind of started from. We have our pure elevation course that we do up there, which is, you know, it's, for a 3D course, it's like a three to four mile. You climb 1,600 feet. You're shooting at extreme angles, you know, long 70, 80 yard shots. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fun, fun weekend. If you ever, anyone listening's ever uh, in the States in the summer, it'd be uh, something to check out for sure. So De definitely. I, that's, I, I've been yeah. watching them and I reckon it'd be something really cool. And um, I reckon we should, we've got to try and organize something down here like that, I think. So we'll have to yeah. get in touch and work in with something there. But, Amongst all that, because you've got all the time in the world, by the sounds of it, <laughs> yeah, you've got your family, your own as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I got my wife and uh, and my daughter. Um, she's a year and a half old right now, which is such a fun, fun age, man. We're having a blast hanging out together. Yeah. In fact, uh, mom's got this. Uh, one of her friends is getting married, and they're doing the bachelorette party this weekend Fine. uh and uh, so but i'm taking my daughter and we're gonna go just go camping take my daughter and my nice. dog and go head up in the mountains and hang out for the weekend try to catch her a fish or something like that cool. so i'm looking forward to it take the bonos up bit of a scout from you as well <laughs> yeah yeah sure <laughs> yeah well uh obviously you're based you're based out of idaho have you um and i believe the shops in boise yeah have you guys have yourself personally always been in idaho or you've you've been venturing around or that's kind of been home for you yeah, pretty much home for me, man. I was um, born actually in California, but then we moved up here. I, so when I was six months old, and I've been up here ever since. So um, not technically a native. I wasn't born here, but I've been here pretty much my entire life. They're long enough. They say 20 years back in Australia. If you're in the same place for 20 years, you're a local. So oh, perfect. You guys call it a you're, you're sweet. you got it covered. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I know it's a... Um, is somebody who loves to backpack and bow hunt. It is a phenomenal state to live in. I mean, I got within two hours, I've got just unlimited public lands to hunt. And, and Idaho is 
uh, Idaho fishing games are very, very good about managing for opportunity. Not, not so much for trophy, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, we don't have the, the biggest bowls and, and the biggest bucks here compared to some other states, but you get a hunt a lot and, and I'll kind of, you know, any day of the week I'll trade getting opportunities to hunt versus, uh, you know, having an opportunity at a really big animal. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess the big animal and, and I haven't, uh, explained, let you, you guys know this yet, but, um, I dropped it on the last podcast I did and, and I'm starting to do an application process, a um, bit of a hunting consultant sort of deal um, through the hunting camp down under Banner. Obviously, I've been over there a fair few times and I've been applying for years and all that kind of stuff. So talk us back through sort of as, as you started, um, how much that sort of helped you having the opportunity because I mean in the States hunting, mule deer and elk probably specifically it is limited to a certain time of the year, different to us where we can kind of hunt any time of the year. Mm-hmm. How, how much did that opportunity being able to have a couple of tags in the state pretty much at your fingertips just walk over the counter? How much did that help you through the start of the, the start of your bow hunting career, so to speak? Uh, yeah, you know, it'd be interesting to, um, I've actually thought about that before. Like if I grew up in a city and, you know, maybe I grew up in Seattle and, and, hunting wasn't part of the culture, like, would I be a hunter? It'd be a kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, again, we got other states like uh, in Arizona where you can only get an elk tag. Uh, I'm not even sure. I think it's like every five years or something like that. Um, if, if you're you lucky. Know, I, yeah, I, I would think, uh, you know, that, that just has to limit the amount of people that, because if, if you get into a sport, you know, I'm sure myself and a lot of other people, like, you want to be all in, right? It's not just something you do kind of casually. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people do, but I think there's a lot of guys that said that if you're into it, you're into it. And if you can't do it every year, that would definitely be a barrier to entry. So, yeah, I mean, it's here in Boise, the mountains are 45 minutes away uh, yeah. and I can be in some gnarly big country. Uh, and so just, yeah, that's your back door and it, it makes that very accessible. And, and again, Idaho just being very generous. I don't think it wasn't until I was probably in my early twenties that I really even understood the concept of like certain States were all private land. Right. Cause I'm just, I grew up and knew nothing different than <laughs> drive an hour or two hours and, and you could just go hike any direction you want and hunt anywhere you want. And, um, yeah, we're extremely fortunate here. Yeah, I guess, you know, and, and by you saying that, um, that thought of not being able to just venture wherever, wherever you wanted to go. I mean, that's Australia kind of in a nutshell in a little way. Because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, public land, and I think that's where, uh, as you know, like New Zealand, uh, the states. That's why you know, I think it's a big pull for a lot of us, and and obviously, that'll mean a little bit more to when we start talking about gear and things like that. But I think that's why you're sort of starting to see, um, I guess, Australia, Australian hunters, I suppose, in general. You know, you start to see their presence like worldwide, and I think that's got a, a lot to do with it. We're sort of probably just been sick of being you know, strangled to, uh, to private land. And if you don't have the access, you're not hunting. It's pretty much as simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. So going back, you know, you, you obviously jumped into an obsession pretty quickly. Um, was there a certain turning point where you, you took it from just, I'm a bow hunter to, well, I'm going to jump into business. Was there a certain thing that sticks in your mind? Why that happened? <laughs> necessity uh <laughs> no yeah i did uh, i grew up in a construction family and we did uh um you know we did metal buildings and it was like my dad and my brother were my boss and my sister and my other brother worked and you know, we all it was just kind of a big family company mm-hmm. um and then oh seven ish 2008 when the you know the economy crashed here yeah. 
Um, like Boise was one of those, we were growing extremely fast. And then when it crashed, it crashed fast. Um, and, and basically, yeah, it was like, you know, construction, I'm not going to be making much money doing this any longer. Um, mm-hmm. so I need to find something else to do. And, and naturally just, you know, I had a skill set with working on bows and had a decent business mind, I thought, and figured, thought I could, you know, give it a go and, and try to make a living that way. What's, you know, and just on that, before I lose track of that bit, you said you, you had a bit of a business mind. What, what was the biggest thing? Did you learn it from the construction or was it the things that happened? But where did you get the business from from to actually get you to where you are now? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I did um, I did go to Boise State University um, and I actually did not finish um, like a, a semester shy of finishing. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I was studying business, uh, business entrepreneurship there. I don't think I learned a lot from that, though. I actually yeah. think the majority of it was being in the family company. Um, and kind of, I, I got to grow up in that environment, um, you know, just business decisions and stuff like that. And then also I just, I do a lot of what I just call like common sense business practices, you know, to me, gotcha. stuff just makes sense. Uh, you know, like I could see some, a company doing something and I go, man, that is freaking stupid. Why would you do that? Or, <laughs> Hey, that's a great idea. You know? Yeah. I'll copy uh, that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it just just I, I do a lot of what yeah, I said common sense stuff. Uh, at least to me, it's just it's very obvious on, on a direction or um, you know the goal, the end goal, and getting there. So it intrigues me, and uh, I was lucky enough to go to the ATA show earlier in the year. And um, what intrigues me about the business side of things, especially in the states, because I mean, let's be honest, you've, there's thousands upon thousands of hunters, but there's also thousands upon thousands of companies trying to start. Yeah. And, it, and it intrigues me of how certain ones, um, I guess, are still here, if that makes sense. Right. What, what obviously, you, you hit a really good mark at the right time, but what's your keys, personal keys, to, to, to keep it where it's at or get it to where it's at? Um, you know, a lot of hard work, obviously, um, being smart and then trying. I think one of the critical mistakes a lot of businesses do is they bite off too much too soon. Yeah. Um, try to take on too much. I mean, even at EXO, we could, there's, you know, I've got a, a notebook full of ideas and things that I want to do someday. Uh, and people ask me all the time, like, oh, why don't you guys make this or make that? And it's <laughs> like, well, one thing at a time here, you know, if we try to bite off too much, get too spread out, too thin, uh, that's when you're going to start seeing issues. So, and then we also, um, we've, you know, every business I've done, we let build very organically. Okay. Um, just from the ground up. We don't throw a bunch of, I mean, even EXO to this day spends almost $0 on, on marketing. I mean, mm-hmm. you'll never see us sponsor a TV show. You'll never see us run a magazine ad. We don't pay athletes to wear our packs. I mean, we are pretty much, you know, there, there's not a whole lot going on there. If, you, if you're wearing an EXO, it's because you, you want to wear an EXO, yeah. not because we paid you. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that, you know, just you build a very genuine audience that way. And and customers and it's not uh um you know i don't know i don't want to say, it's a, not like a fad that comes and goes right yeah um where something gets really popular because you know cameron haynes was wearing it or something like that and then you know that might last for a couple of years but that's going to wear off and when that wears off if you don't have a good base and core uh core to your business you know you're just going to disappear has that always been you know your direction from the start or you know, did you take different turns and different corners, you know, back in the day and obviously lucky enough to pull it up short or was that just always your direction? 
Uh, pretty much always the direction. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I, and a, a big thing I ask, you know, we've got some good companies down in Australia that are really trying to kick off and, you know, the next level is sort of trying to, you know, trying to break into another market and, and it does scare me trying to some focus on the American market and, and it, I cringe because obviously I've seen it firsthand how competitive it is. Um, yeah. You know, would you have any advice for a, whether it was in an American company or Australian company, you know, any advice kicking off and I think you've probably already mentioned it, but would, would patience be, be one of them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't, I mean, I think you got to realize, uh, how much work is involved in it. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are very, um, don't have a good idea of, of what it takes to start a small business and build mm -hmm. it from the ground up and, and build a company that's going to be around for 10 plus years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I said, patience is a critical part of that. Just kind of in due time, things will come and, and you just got to said, you got to start and, and build a good solid base that you can build off of. And as you build it, I mean, it, you know, it exponentially gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it doesn't take, but you know, just, I mean, EXO to me is a perfect example. It's five years into the company and look back at year one and go, holy crap, you know, and it, yet that feels like it was yesterday because uh, it's, it's happened so fast. Was there a certain point in EXO that you just gone, it, it might just happen? Was there something happened or a certain point or has it just been that organic that it's just continued each year? Um, yeah, I think the growth has always, has actually surprised us every year. We think we're going to level off and we haven't got anywhere close to that. Um, no, I, I, honestly, I said we built, um, our initial costs to get into it were pretty stinking low. I mean, it's just Lenny and I with a little bit of money in our savings account that we were able to spend that first year getting things developed, um, and a, and a lot of work on our part, a lot of late nights. Um, yeah. we both had full-time jobs and then, um, one of my yeah one of my favorite stories is Lenny's wife had this pink brother sewing machine, and that's literally what <laughs> like, we started the original prototypes on. I mean, it, was it had like, to be pink too, didn't it? <laughs> it had to be pink. Actually, I could say I'll send you the picture because um, I found it the other day on my phone of, of Lenny sitting there and his yeah his kids were pretty little at the time, like one and two or something like that. And I'd I'd go over there at seven eight o'clock at night once the kids went down to bed, and and we'd be there till one two in the morning just you know, tweaking and modifying and, and working on it. So it was a, it was kind of a fun first year looking back on it, but it was, you know, we were working 14, 15, 16 hour days for, you know, a full year just to get it off the ground. So it just takes a lot of work. And, and I said, um, we were very smart. And when we built it, I mean, the company was actually profitable after the second day, we had sold enough yeah. packs in the first two days that we had offset our costs from getting it, you know, to that point. Uh, and, and we haven't looked back since then. So, that's that's awesome. That's you know that's a really good story, and you know we down in Australia here we, we call that you know the, the true Aussie story um, of, of business. Yeah. You know just the back of the shed, and you know just starting from scratch, and you know really no one puts you up on a big pedestal with a whole big cash book and say here you go, buddy. You know to be able to do right. it like that is, I think I think it's a good reason, a good testament to yourself why you're still here and why you why you're going so strong and continuing to be. Taking you from that point, you know. What made you get in the shed? You know, obviously there was something that you see in the market that was lacking. And this yeah, obviously absolutely. start taking us down the exo line. But yeah. you know, talk us through the thought process back then. Um, yeah, purely wanting to build like we just w could not find something that we that fit our style of hunting. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had uh, been backpack hunting for a while, but our, our method of hunting was hike in, set up a base camp, you know, and, and our typical 
hunt is three to five miles from the from the trailhead mm-hmm. um just kind of how our country lays out here in idaho it's it's kind of hard to get that much deeper than that where there's there's not another road on the other side of that five miles um so yeah we'd hunt in have a fairly heavy pack uh and then set up a camp and then hunt from there and then kind of along the way we it's it started like packing up camp every morning um and, and hunting with camp on our back which really that's a whole different thing right i mean <laughs> like every ounce truly matters at that point you're not mm. like you can hike in five miles with a 60 pound backpack and you drop all your gear and then you're hunting with a, a 20 pound pack and that's just fine but we wanted to thought we could be a lot more efficient better hunters if we just had camp on our back and kind of could hunt with no restrictions um you know it's actually one of our slogans taglines from exos is no boundaries uh meaning you know you just hunt with no boundary you can go wherever you want wherever mm-hmm. you kill something the pack's going to help you get that animal out um but uh yeah so it was you know the pack market's changed a lot in the last five years um yeah. but you know when i first started backpacking my first trip was a cabela's pack frame and i had like this you know which itself weighed like six seven pounds or something <laughs> and then i had a, a day pack that i strapped on top of that which was another five six pounds so it was like 13 pounds of backpack uh you know, just to freaking <laughs> hike in there and, but that's kind of what you had to do i mean yeah. that day pack i did there wasn't a pack i could throw my gear in and backpack in and then you know get it all out so um but in the in that kind of quest and using different packs you know some were some were really good and comfortable with that 20 30 pounds but obviously if you killed something they were completely worthless and then mm-hmm. Uh, and then to basically have something to hold heavy weight well was a pack frame and you sure as heck weren't gonna throw that on your back and hunt all day long at least not you know do that comfortably so that's really what you know started it was just uh, being very critical uh you know bulkley and i have that mindset of very very we're very critical of like the gear that we're that we're wearing and using and and uh just talking about packs and i think it was a couple of years of that where you know we're like man if we did it this is what we would do and then finally one day you know it's just kind of like all right let's do it let's make this happen so um yeah i said from from that decision point uh it was pretty much a full year of just obsessively working uh to get to get the company started that's awesome and i shouldn't assume that everybody knows but um when you harvest something over the states you actually have to take all the meat out hence why we're talking you know you're taking camp in and then you're bringing camp and meat out if you're successful so obviously that's why low is so important so i probably shouldn't assume that everybody knows that but oh yeah yeah, is that not the case over there? Definitely not. So we don't have any requirements here. I mean, it, we we like to say that uh, you know most would do it with deer and things like that, but it uh, it doesn't happen. So uh, we oh, don't. Wow. Technically speaking, you don't. You can put it there on the spot. Not that everybody does that, but you know it does happen quite a lot. But shoot it on the spot and you say thank you very much and walk away. So the difference <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> the difference between introduced feral species and uh, and obviously hunting yeah. your your native game if you land. So very very different that's, sort of ball game yeah that's very interesting to me i mean that to me that i'm definitely a meat hunter i mean antlers come second for sure so yeah. um I, the thought of killing something and then not packing the meat out um that's like a foreign concept mm-hmm. it just goes uh i mean you guys over there you know being part of it it, it and actually i've got to be honest it plays a lot on the the hunt that we sort of target as well now um since yeah. Had the had the luxury of having to pack out an elk down in New Mexico. Uh, <laughs> realizing how hard it sort of is, even with three guys, you know, I think we're five, six mile in, and you know, it was sort of the opening 
account to that and you're like you you got to really think about the hunt you're in you know you can't go in 12 13 mile because <laughs> you if you're on your own yeah. you're going to struggle to bring that 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 elk out in time to pull the meat to boil so you know they're, they're things that i've learned along the lines and so yeah it's a very different story down here you know uh we like to say that you know something that's in its prime like a deer of a certain species that um you know it was like a young one or something you know a lot of guys are taking for taking them for meat now but you know, very rarely were they going to pack in a long way and, and pull it out for that reason only. Mm. So, um, yeah, another ball game. So, but, um, so when going from, uh, you know, obviously the design stage, um, you know, and, and obviously the need and the want, you guys jumped straight into it. How long did it sort of take from that point to, uh, to get into full production? Um, yeah, I mean, we were, like I said, it, it took a year, let's see, it took a year to develop. We launched the company actually on January 1st, uh, of 2014. And then I think we started shipping packs in, I want to say April. Okay. Um, so we, we launched, like I said, we launched the company, had, you know, had prototypes, took photos, built a website, uh, and then basically did like a pre-order situation that first year um in that first week or something like that and then yeah once it was launched um that money actually kind of helped fund getting getting the materials ordered and getting the packs made for that first batch um and uh, and then yeah we delivered a few months later nice and those uh, either packs you you obviously didn't do them yourself but you you had contracted someone locally or there's somewhere in it within the states yeah or close to you? yeah for sure there's um very few companies i'm aware of that actually do all the sewing in-house themselves it's subcontracted out labor so yeah sure uh, how it yeah how it works for us is, is we actually order the raw goods um it, back then i think we had them shipped direct to uh, the sew shop but but when you know right now i would order rolls of 500 e-cordura they ship to our warehouse here. We inventory it, and then as production's needed, we we send the fabric and foam and buckle and webbing and all that stuff to the sew shop. They cut it, cut all the patterns out, do all the sewing, ship us back the parts. So our pack is five parts: a, a belt, a harness, frame panel, bag, lid, um, and then uh, and then we do the assembly, quality control process. You know, and then an order comes in, we process it, and and then uh, put it together and ship it out. That's cool. And I forgot a major part, um, you know, especially in the design process, but where did you come with the frame? Like, I mean, a pack's a pack, like the, the bag sections, you know, there's so many different kinds out there, but you, you, your frame is a, a quite a standalone, let's be honest. Yeah, you know, it is. Without being, um, without being engineers, you know, was that just troll and error or someone, you're just lucky enough no. to have that in the back of your mind or? Yeah, I guess you'd say lucky enough to have it in the back of my mind. Definitely knew... Um, you know, I think being analytical, looking at like, okay, why does a pack frame pack weight so well? It's it's because it's rigid. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's 10 pounds or 110 pounds, the shape of the frame won't change. Yep. Uh, and that's going to be your the difference uh, you, between that and an internal frame backpack that's got some cheap aluminum stay in it or something like that that just bends as your, uh, um, you know, the, the more you load it up, the more that bends and then it it's like doing the complete opposite of what you want, right? Like yeah. your, your, your load's getting heavier and your frame is changing shape from what it was originally designed <laughs> to be and fit your body. Uh, and that's really where they all just go downhill. So it's about a stiff frame that then transfers that weight down into your hips. Yep. Um, so kind of with that premise, it's like, okay, we need something stiff that's going to transfer weight into the hips, but at the same time, 
a pack frame is really uncomfortable because it, it is so rigid and doesn't move with you. So we knew that the critical part of a pack frame is the rigidity vertically and the critical part of a, a day pack is is the movement laterally. So as you're walking, it's moving back and forth with you. And, and kind of once we just started going through that thought process, our, our initial frame, um, you know, just kind of put itself in front of us of, okay, we can, we can do this. Um, and it just made sense. So, yeah, we are definitely... Um, I think even early on, there was a lot of people questioning like our, how our pack would work, you know, because we yeah. were talking about this this lateral movement and, and moving with your body and kind of hugging your back, and it was definitely a different concept um, than what had been out there. So, uh, and, and I think kind of proofs in the pudding. I mean, we got guys, um, you just you don't get beat up uh, with an EXO pack like you may with some others, um, especially with that 100 pound load over a long haul out because um, it's. <laughs> it is moving and it's not creating these friction spots and pressure points that uh, yep. you would, you might get in some others. Definitely. And look, I'm going to be completely honest. It is all uncomfortable when it gets to that weight, <laughs> <laughs> right. but there is a big difference between like a shit pack and, and obviously, you know, vouch for the, for, for your packs, you know, cause I've, I've used it and, and used another one with heavy weight, but it does make a big difference, you know, and we kind of probably geeking out a little bit with, you know, the lateral and that, but it, it is well worth it. And, I think this is really important why we're sort of chatting about it today, knowing where the design comes from and, and being able to choose a pack that, you know, is going to work. Um, did that pack frame change a lot or was that pretty much the first concept you came up with? Did it sort of progress over time and have you changed it since? Yeah, I mean, our initial bag frame concept hasn't changed since day one. Um, the, the frame itself, we've tweaked and modified and improved. Um, it sits a little bit, the actual titanium frame sits a little bit wider inside of the, the fabric frame panel okay. now. Um, just trying to create a little bit more stability with heavy loads. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really it. I mean, it not, not a whole lot has changed. Uh, and then we've just continued to, we obviously, we, we started this with zero technical background on building backpacks and, and just kind of learning on the fly. And, and five years into it, we've, we've learned a lot. Um, how things wear, you know, um, is, is a good example of just different wear spots and Cordura, what, what its strengths and weaknesses are and things like that. And so we've continued to kind of tweak and modify and, and, and improve along the way. And it's definitely our, our goal. I mean, every single year we've come out with a revision to the pack, to the frame or the bag. Um, and I really don't see that changing because we're just constantly, um, maybe even from a bad business decision uh, we, i mean we're we're just constantly like you know we see and know the flaws of our pack yep. um and, and we're just always want to improve it and it's a if nothing else it's a selfish like i know i can make it better for myself and our customers just get a benefit from that yeah um it's kind of that that's usually our motive is like you know right now I'm, i've been working very aggressively on some stuff for next year and uh, i can't wait to get it out there so that's awesome i mean I think, you, you know, in a, on a business side of things, being able to see your downfall but still progress forward, I think is a huge, you know, reason for success. Um, mm-hmm. I, I find a lot of the time, and, and this comes back to sort of, you know, my career, you know, in real estate and those kind of things where things go wrong and people, you know, you get abused, but, you know, to be able to sit there and back and find out why that person, you know, why it did that or what happened throughout that progress and, and being able to change that, moving forward but not changing your, your ground you know your ground rules so to speak 
I think, you know, that it's a credit to you to be able to, you know, continue to grow. I still take on feedback and those kind of things. Um, does it get to a point that you think that like the pack will finish? Like, you know, I just, there's a point that we just can't <laughs> change it anymore. <laughs> I, yeah, I was joking with somebody that what I'm working <laughs> on for, for next year, um, I'm extremely excited about it. And, and then they said, you're, you're, you know, we're obviously so involved on designing and building the pack. That's like, you know, you see all the flaws or like, it's like if you wrote your own paper for school or something, you had yeah. to turn it in, right? Like, and if you, it's something you really cared about, you know, it's like at some point you just got to turn it in because it's due mm. and it's due for a grade. Well, <laughs> yeah. We're designing packs at some point we got to stop and actually sell the thing. So the company does make money. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, I've, every time we've got done designing something, I've already got ideas sparked for the next revision of it or some new material that's come out. And, um, but I was joking with a buddy the other day, like, I, I don't know what's next after this, this next one. I mean, it's going to be like, it's like the perfection. pinnacle. It's like the pinnacle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like we may ride that one for a while. Cause I have, I'm going to have a hard time improving on it. So we'll see. Uh, I'm sure, you know, they said if, if from a design design standpoint nothing changes, there's really cool stuff being done in the textile industry right now, and mm. um, you know I think you just can gonna get lighter, tougher, stronger, and um, you know just keep kind of chipping away even if it's not something on the design from from standpoint. How hard was that to obviously you know, and it's probably at a time that your business came into it was backpacking's pretty much just gone through the roof. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just been insane with watching the growth. And it was kind of a time that I sort of, you know, started applying sort of five, six years, you know, applying in the States and those kind of things as well. Um, so obviously perfect time for you guys. But how hard is it to be in the battle, the whole lightweight, you know, getting far back, but still having the, the toughness and to be able to, you know, brush bash, uh, you know, deal yeah. with sharp shit and all that kind of stuff pack weight like how hard's that been to stick to your guns and not take a certain trend um yeah it's been it's hard i mean we again jokingly but very seriously say like we have the hardest pack to design that, that i'm aware of that exists mm. um you know we have to we have to find that balance of of everything right yeah. it's got to be tough it's got to be light it's got to be quiet mm. um that's a big one that you know it's a number one complaint we hear uh, of people like why they change packs as well my old pack squeaked and made noise yep. um even the, know, it's gotta, even the material itself rubbing up against yeah you. yeah yeah it's um it's yes yeah, so it's got to be everything um and it's you know it's a challenge and, and we it's one thing we really strive to do is is we just say balance you know it's it's um, we could make it, uh, a little bit tougher, but not at the sacrifice of, you know, adding another pound to the pack, or yeah. we could make it a little bit lighter, but not the sacrifice of, uh, you know, two, three years down the road, you're going to have some wear spots and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, for us, it's always just kind of weighing the pros and cons and, and trying to find a good balance of everything in, in our design. So, uh, and same, same with pocket layouts and, and all that stuff. It's all, um, you know, just weighing, weighing every decision very, you know, uh, very diligently and, and just making sure that the end we, we focus on a balanced and, and simple pack. We don't want to get too complicated with things. Definitely. Jumping into sort of, uh, you know, where the packs suit, you know, and this is where sort of uh, your salesperson pitch can come into it. But looking at, you know, the, diff- the three different sizes. So anybody that, that doesn't know the XO range, uh, we start at the 2000. 
3500 and the 5500 where I, I run the 5500 and I run it for everything um, mm-hmm. what was the reasoning beside like obviously I know you're trying to fit sort of different markets with each one day pack going up and you extended each each day but you know how do you see them fit um, to a certain hunt yeah um, I am from a personal standpoint, like less is more, small is, smaller is better, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just very minimalist standpoint. So I'm always trying to talk people down. Yeah. Um, if you're on the board, I mean, clearly, if you're going for six plus days and you're doing that hunt consistently, you need a 5,500. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some some guys on the ultralight spectrum side can, can do more with the 35. But um, yeah, so I mean, a, a lot of guys just do three to four day hunts, but have this mentality that they, they need the bigger bag. And I try to talk them down. And I think one, it's lighter. And, and two, if you don't, if you've got a bunch of extra space, there's a very natural tendency to kind of throw a few more items in and fill that up. Um, and also we really try to promote, um, how we pack the pack is, is by loosely throwing all your gear in there and let the, the fabric and the webbing of the pack be basically one giant compression sack, gotcha. um, versus I think it's very common to, everything has its own small compression sack and then you stuff that in the bag um so you know like i use the analogy of like you're basically throwing a bunch of hard bowling balls in your pack versus a bunch of golf balls like Mm -hmm. it's going to carry and feel a lot better with a bunch of golf balls because that weight's going to be well distributed over a larger area versus like three or four big heavy spots inside the pack um so i just want you to buy the bag that fits your gear and so The, it's the K2 frame, um, sort of the one frame, and then the three bags that all interchange on that same frame. And so it's just my question to everybody when they ask me what bag size is, like, all right, well, what are you doing? What time of year? What's your packing habits as far as, like, are you someone who packs a lot or are you a minimalist? And then what quality of gear do you have? Do you have a five-pound sleeping bag or do you have a the 14-ounce quilt? Yep. Um, so you kind of answer those basic questions, and then it, it really steers you pretty quickly to what bag to get. And then – you know, again, we try to have a good balance and compromise there. Of you can, you know, you can absolutely day hunt with a 5500. We make sure that when we're designing it, that if it's completely empty, all the fabric is tight, mm. the lid is tight. It is. Um, you know, everything's nice and snug and nothing's loose. You know, there's nothing worse than, you know, I see a lot of packs designed that the lid is just this completely floppy mess unless you have it <laughs> full, right? And that's like, yeah. well, that doesn't, that's bad. I mean, you, you throw like when it's empty and the lid's floppy and you want to throw your camera in there, it's just going to be like all over the place. You know, you step over a log and it's going to whack you in the back of the head. Um, so yeah, again, we try to balance that all out. Obviously you can day hunt with it. You can take a 2000 and, and do a, you know, if you're on the ultra light side, it's got a roll top feature to it where it can expand up to about 2,900 cubic inches. And, and you can go, you know, I, I actually prefer to use that bag for like a three night, you know, elk trip if I'm going okay. to do something pretty quick. Yeah. So, there you go. Yeah. No, that's cool. And I, look, I think I probably can't speak for everyone, but a lot of the feedback and the questions that I've had um, since you guys come on board and as the, the the questions come through when that when we opened that straight up was was amazing. You know, definitely people are wanting information, and it seems to me that a lot of it is a, kind of wanting the one pack do it all kind of deal. And and I can mm-hmm. understand that because obviously it is an investment. Uh, but to be honest with you, it's one of the most important kits, apart from boots and maybe a couple other things. It's it carries everything else, and if it's not uh, if it's not comfortable, you're up the creek, so to speak. But <laughs> yeah, um, our 
Yeah, so our, we say boots and packs, man. Don't don't mess with those two things. You can nah. have a cheap, crappy tent. You could have, have a, you know, a heavy synthetic sleeping bag. You can have a re- old school backpack and stove. But all those things are like comfort things, you know, or make your life a little bit easier. Oh, but yeah, yeah. If your feet are hurting you and and the weight that's on your back is <laughs> miserably uncomfortable, <laughs> it's a those shoot, two things you're in for will, a shit time. There's yeah, no doubt yeah, about yeah. it. <laughs> those, those get into your head and, and screw with you, and those are the things that make you leave early. Definitely. I think a lot of the, you know, from from Australian's point of view, Australian hunter's point of view, you know, we've probably got, uh, for most of the hunters, you know, there's probably a bit of a chance we carry a bit of weight, might pull a bit of meat out uh, if, we're a bit, if we're a deer hunter. Um, you know, Victorian high country, so that that's a, that's a hunt uh, that I've recently experienced can't wait to do a lot more. So it's the closest thing that I could say, you know, it's for you guys is chasing mule deer. Mm-hmm. So it's in our, in our public lands, our version of public land. Um, that, that one there we did sort of, you know, I think it was six or seven mile in, you know, you stayed out there for two or three nights. Um, you carried your water, you carried everything out and then, you know, you could come back to the truck. There was probably no really reason to stay any longer because you probably, you probably spot hop from there because you can come back to the main road. So a little bit like Idaho. Um, in that rough ballpark with the odd New Zealand trip thrown in, would you say 35, the 3,500 or the 5,500? Uh, yeah, I said I, I mean, said I talk everyone down, so I'd say 35. Mm. Um, I think 35. I mean, I, as I said, I run the 55 only because obviously the bigger hunts that we were involved in. But the 3,500, yeah. I got a buddy that that ran that for New Mexico last year, and uh, they went in pretty light, I must admit. And but he had plenty of room, and I mean. He loved every bit of the pack, and it was his first hunt with it too, which was, you know, it's always pretty good feedback. So, yeah, that thirty five hundred seems to be, and it expands up to what that nearly goes to fifty five hundred, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. So we we're very very conservative on the cubic inches. Our thirty five is like forty two fifty, I think. Okay. Yep. Actual with like side pockets and stretch pockets and all that. Sweet. And then yeah, you, um, I said it. All you're worried about is your gear, because if you are packing meat out, that goes in between the bag and the frame. Mm. Um, and so the, the capacity to meat never changes. You can I can throw two hindquarters of an elk on a 2,000 and, and the same on a 5,500. I'm going to pick your brain on experience here, because you mentioned something before. I'm looking at my room here. I'm just about to go to Alaska. I've only got two weeks, and I'll fly out. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so I've got mountain goat in Alaska. It's my first, I'm going to be honest, you know, it's my first real deer, deal probably battling a little bit of weather and those kind of things. And you really got me quizzing now because I've got stuff in separate stuff sacks. <laughs> and I know I've listened to a podcast with you guys before and, and you said, don't put in stuff sacks. And I forgot about it until you just mentioned it. So <laughs> <laughs> you've done both. And obviously, as soon as you said that, it makes, how do you go with organization? Um, I, like, it's just layered. Um, okay. So the very first thing that goes in is my tent um somebody will inevitably say well what do you do if your tent flies wet um just depends usually i'll i'll put the body if you have a you know a a two a a double layer tent double wall tent so the body that's still relatively dry that goes in the bottom of the pack um and then the fly i just throw like in the stretch panel and then that way i could just you know if it's noon and the sun comes out i can lay that out dry it out and i'll throw it back in the pack but yeah so just basically tent sleeping pad sleeping bag um, on top of that, that all gets jammed in the bottom. Um, and then, uh, then from there I just kind of layer. So if I've got like, uh, my jet boil stove always goes right inside the zipper. Um, 
if I've got like a jacket or something like that, I know I'm going to use that would either be in the very top of the bag. So uh-huh. if I like just open up the roll top, I could grab it real quick or it's in that stretch panel. Um, and then food, like the extra food and stuff that's not for that day. I have, you know, my food's always divided up per day. Okay. Um, and, and just like a zip, a big Ziploc bag, or I've got these little mesh bags I've used. So I'll just have one. Usually I'll put that like in the lid. Um, so it's super easy to get to. And then all the other food would be like, you know, on top of the sleeping bag and tent, but on the far side away from that uh, side zipper. Mm-hmm. Um, so just completely out of the way. And then, you know, you get some clothes and stuff you might have extra that are like, you know, kind of up in there as well. Um, and then it's one of the things that we designed the 35 and 5500 was very much with that backpacker in mind of the pack is wrapped with pockets and the lid to all the stuff that you actually need during the day during the hunt. Gotcha. Um, so spine scope and tripod lid is going to be like food, headlamp, snacks. I use like the lower stretch pockets for my water filter and TP on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that front stretch panel, like I said, it's kind of a catch all. It could be my tent fly. It could be my jacket. It could be, uh, some hunts I'll pack a little butt, butt pad, a little sitting pad when I'm glassing, like on a mule deer hunt a lot. Um, so that's front, front pockets right there. So it's said, so it's always like my headlamp is always in the same pocket. My toilet paper is always in the same pocket. So there's never, I take my pack off. I know exactly where to go. Uh, you're not like doing the whole yard sale, throwing your whole pack all over <laughs> all your gear all over the ground, trying to find one item, right? Yeah. Uh, and I definitely encourage people to do that because um, it it just makes it very easy, very quick. Um, whenever we go like backpacking with somebody, uh, like the first time hunting with them, and and we're packing up in the morning, you know, we'll have like we'll be done, packs loaded, ready to go, and they're still like taking down their tent. You know, <laughs> uh, we've just done it so many times, we've gotten so efficient at it, and I said it's a um, we, we really strive like to me, the mental side and physical side of a backcountry hunt is, is pretty taxing, right? I mean, it's, it's tough. Um, we enjoy it, uh, but it's, it's, it's hard work. Uh, mm-hmm. so the, the easier and simpler I can make everything else around me to where it's like on autopilot and I'm not fussing with it, uh, the better, you know? So if I can eliminate all these extra variables of having to stuff every single thing into a little stuff sack and people or you know people just get funny about that stuff like well you know i think that your sleeping bag is not gonna be protected inside your pack or something like that you know mm-hmm. it's just kind of silly um but the, the the other argument is is um you know if, if you're using like waterproof stuff sacks and it's it's you know you're heading up to alaska and it's going to rain on you every day um then you know you can start to argue that the stuff sack works and that it's one of the things why we came out with our dry bag that basically fills the entire inside of the pack so you can do our same packing philosophy that we use now um, and, and still guarantee that everything's going to stay 100% dry. Yeah, I just uh, and that's kind of got, got, got me quizzing because I've, I've just I've just put the, the big stuff sack, uh, waterproof stuff sack in the bag and then I've like got all these other waterproof bags and I'm like, well, I know something's not going to get wet. <laughs> that's, that's one thing, <laughs> yeah. but it's, yeah, uh, it's got me, overkill. it's sort of like, oh, a bit of an overkill here. So I'm just trying to get my head around. I think my hunt is... It's 10 days, um, eight days hunting, so we've got a day either side for, for hiking in and out. Um, i got a feeling we're more of a base camp set up, so we'll, like we'll set our tent and everything up and then pretty well hunt from there unless we've got to move. So I've probably only got one big load both ways, I think, but I don't want to be limited to that. Does that change at all if, if, you're, if you've got pack on your back every day, um, so to speak, versus... Obviously, just getting to a certain point, unloading everything, and just taking your bare essentials each day. 
uh, does my packing change? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I would say for the last five years, I mean, really ever since we've started EXO, 95% of my hunts, I pack up camp every morning. Okay. Um, even, even if we don't plan on covering a lot of country, even if we think we're only going to hunt within two miles, mm-hmm. you know, my pack has gotten so stinking light. Um, I think my base gear is like 17 pounds or okay. something like that. Yep. And then, so you're just food and water on top of that. Um, that, you know, like leaving camp means I'm leaving four pounds there, mm-hmm. like my quilt, my bag, my pad, and maybe extra food. You know, if, it, if it's a 10 day hunt that, you know, your food's going to be 20 plus pounds. Yeah, so that that's that's going to be up there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that one's a big number. Most of my stuff is, is frankly three, four days. Um, I'm kind of like either I, I'll do short hunts like that, or if I do have an eight day duration, if I, if I'm hiked into somewhere and I haven't killed something in four days, um, I'm pretty confident that there's just not that many animals there. And so I'm like packing out and finding a new spot to hunt. Okay. Yep. Um, kind of have that, like, yeah, I've either killed something or the hunting sucks by four days. <laughs> uh, and there, there are exceptions. I mean, or, you know, maybe it just hasn't quite come together, but yeah. usually it's, if it's going to happen, it happens in that first four days. So, um, yeah, so most of my hunts are, I'm not packing a ton of food. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And obviously, you know, to a point that you, you know, that you're going to have to pack something out too. So you've got to be very, very careful of the point, you know, I've got to For go, sure. you know, yes, I've got to, I've yeah. got to carry the goat out, but it's not taking an elk out. So it's a, a little bit different there too. Yeah. Um, yeah. with, I guess, moving forward a little bit, but staying on the exo trail, what's it mean to you personally and, and the company to start getting, you know, this is coming from Australia once again, but, you know, what's it like to starting to have such a big international presence? Uh, it's not real. <laughs> like <laughs> At least it you're honest. Be, yeah, it doesn't feel real. Um, you know, it's it's uh, you know, we're just uh, yeah, it's not real. That is, I'm not saying it's not really happening. It just doesn't feel real to me, right? I mean, we I don't feel any different than five years ago when we were a tiny little company just getting started off the ground. So, mm. um, it's it's very surreal and and. Uh, just crazy yeah I mean, see guys using our packs all over the world and um must be yeah cool. it's it's, it must it's be really cool. really cool yeah, yeah. I, I definitely love it i don't my wife always whenever she sees cool pictures or something shared from you know from all over the world like she'll save them and like send them to her mom because she thinks it's so cool like That's holy awesome. crap look, look at steve's packs they're getting used you know here in new zealand or australia or whatever so it's yeah it's cool no that's awesome and you know i know your personality you know super humbling as well you know that you sort of, you know, that you've put the hard work in and, you know, you haven't sort of gone to a direction, like you're sticking to your guns, you're doing the thing. If there was anything that you could say to, to an Aussie hunter or New Zealand hunter for that matter, um, that, that is looking for a pack, you know, what's the main things, and it doesn't have to be directed straight at EXO, but it'll end up that way anyway. Um, what's the main things that you would look at in buying a new pack? I know there's a couple of things, you know, what time of hunting and that, but what's the, just say three main features that you want to look for because yeah, we can't um, we can't try them on that's right, our biggest yeah, trouble yeah. Um, um so yeah it's really hard i mean i think you can kind of get a general idea but it also can be pretty hard um number big picture it's it's all the frame mm-hmm. um you know if like guys tell me that um you know like maybe they had our pack but they like somebody's bag design better i just kind of go oh, all right yeah whatever because <laughs> um, it's like 
I, I said the whole packs and boots are your two most important things, right? Like if yep. the frame or the pack doesn't fit you and is, is not comfortable for you, then then who cares what the bag is or what buckles it has or whatever, right? Like those are small little details. It's how does that pack ride on you and how comfortable is it for you to carry heavy weight? So completely ignoring bag sizes, bag features, stuff like that. I'm just looking straight at the frame. It's got to have a good frame. Um, and going back to make sure it's rigid, uh, make sure it doesn't barrel. Barreling is you take the side compression straps. Like you got an elk quarter on there and you take the side straps and the more you tighten them, all the, all of a sudden the suspension. So like the, the middle of the shoulder harness is going to be like poking out, right? Like you're actually rounding out the frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that can, you know, a lot of packs are subject to. Uh, and again, it's one of it's that whole, like the heavier it gets, the more uncomfortable it just got. Cause you got this heavy load on there. You're trying to get the straps really tight and all of a sudden you're changing the shape of the suspension. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, but, and it just has to be stiff enough vertically that there's not going to be a ton of flex in there. A little bit of flex, you're going to be okay. But yeah, um, that, that's a big one. Uh, I would say an adjustable torso is an absolute must. Mm-hmm. Um, most even like $300 plus packs are going to have that. I mean, I see a few here and there where the, the harness is actually sewn to the frame. Um, but if for anybody who's not five foot eight to five eleven, you're probably, you know, up a Creek, uh, that you're gonna have a tough time. You're gonna have a lot of weight on your shoulders. Um, hip belt is again, you know, one of the very high, you know, high on the list of crucial items. Um, make sure that whatever pack you're buying, that somewhere in there is a, a size selector. Like you're mm-hmm. selecting a small, medium, or large belt because if, yeah. if it's a universal fits all belt, again, you're, you know, odds are you're probably going to be SOL because um, you want that belt to wrap around the front of your iliac crest, the front of your hip bones. Um, but also not be too big that once you do throw hundred pounds in it, you go to tighten it up and you can't tighten it down yeah. enough before it like runs out of adjustment. Yeah. Actually, maxes on, the, out, so. on the hip belt too, I've got to give you another wrap. Um, thank you for widening it because I had the, one of the first original ones. Oh yeah. That were narrower and uh-huh. oh man, that extra, I don't know how much you widen it by, but man, that it made a <laughs> world of difference. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think it would do it, but, um, Actually, Pat from Boulder Creek, who's your stockist in Australia, um, he's the one that said, "No, there's a big difference. I've got him here." So I grabbed one, and yeah, no, nah, it was it was awesome. That was a game changer. <laughs> yeah, we've been again just these small little tweaks that you may not even think they make a big difference, no. but as we're developing and tweaking, they, they do. So, but yeah, I'd say uh, a good hip belt, adjustable torso, and a good frame. I mean, those are kind of your three ingredients to at least being on the right track, and then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how it carries meat and bag size and bag features, you know, those are all important things, but uh, those are the, the kind of the top of the list. Sure, we didn't touch on too, you know, when it, when it comes to carrying the meat, um, you guys have got the load panel, so the bag comes away from the frame, still is still attached. The bag kind of comes the, uh, I guess the crib you could suppose to say, so the, the meat stays against the pack or the weight, whatever way you want to, where you want to put it. How mm-hmm. crucial is that for comfortability, like the comfort of the yeah, I mean, and, and looking after the body, so to speak? Right, yeah. It's, it's just uh, you want, you know, laws of physics here. You want that closer weight, the heaviest weight closest to your body as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we make a very concerted effort to keep the, basically from the back of um, the, you know, the foam that touches your back to where that meat sits. Like we want that dimension as close as it could possibly be. Uh, you know, barring, you know, the good design and comfort. Um, and so, yeah, getting that heavyweight close, 
and then your lighter stuff, you know, you're going to put further away from your body. So, um, you know, you definitely, when you got a, you know, hind quarter and a head and a cape, you know, that's all going to be like, the meat's going to be down low, the head and cape, I'm going to like sit up on top of that, the top of the pack. And then, and then my gear will be in the bag and that's going to be, you know, distributed. Like I said, once, once you get to that hundred plus pound load, you know, comfort's a, a relative term. Um, <laughs> Just get but, it back you know, to the I, truck. <laughs> <laughs> I always, you know, my, my saying is like, it should never be, cause I've done miserable pack outs where you like, you feel that pack out for the next couple of days. You might have bruises, you might have scabs and rub spots. To me, that's poor design, poor loading, poor fitting a good pack while it's going to be uncomfortable during the hike. Um, you know, like I, like, uh, last year, well, not, the year prior, I, I killed an elk, packed the entire thing out by myself in three trips. The next day, you know, didn't there was nothing, right? I'm a little sore, but there wasn't yeah. any like major issues, right? Like to yep. me, that's a good pack. Yeah, um, yeah. Was it heavy? Was I uncomfortable? Sure, um, but there wasn't like this point where you're hunched over sideways on the trail, you know, just praying for the praying to get to the truck. It's just kind of a <laughs> you know, <laughs> take your time yeah. and you'll get done. It's a I just attribute it to like, man, if, I was, if it wasn't hunting season, I'd be on my mountain bike or out hiking with a loaded pack anyway. So it's just mm. another another good workout. Definitely. I, uh, I made a big mistake. I I packed, I had the head, so I had meat in the pack, but then I had the head on top with the cape. I did a really bad job of it, I'm going to be honest. And man, that was brutal. <laughs> and I went back up the next day and we got offered by a guy on a horse to go and pick the rest of our meat up. We're like, no, nah, no, nah, we want to finish it. You know, it's you know just part of the deal. And uh, we're doing a film and that as well. So, yeah, it was all part of we had to finish it off. It was the best thing, I must say. It was very, you know, it's very satisfying to do the whole thing. Um, so I'm glad yeah. I didn't shortcut it. But I tell you what, just having meat the next day without that damn head, that was just like a breeze. <laughs> it was just like walked up. It was like just a heavy, yeah. heavy training day with the pack. It was so easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that damn head, it was hitting every oh. rock that I was walking down the hill. Oh, it was hitting yeah. a rock and sending me sideways. And oh, <laughs> Oh, uh, that's yeah, that's tough. I, that's one thing I think. Even um, I've hunted with some very experienced hunters, um, but when they kill something, they, they don't understand proper loading, and and that can even a really good pack improperly loaded oh. isn't going to carry as comfortable as, as it possibly could. So, mm. uh, and then you can make a poor pack carry a lot better. You know, just being very diligent about about getting that loaded correctly, and and that's just we just say high and tight. You know, get yep. get the meat up in the center kind of center of your back like imagine kind of in between your shoulder blades if you if you rolled your shoulders back mm -hmm. um and then you know and just get it tight to the frame gotcha. so that it's not you know as you step over a log or whatever it doesn't shift um that's pretty critical as well as low placement i've got to say and i've had a couple just a little tweaks and I, i'm scared to even move my pack at the moment um i've <laughs> said to my wife she's not allowed to touch it and wash it because it stinks but that's another thing, but um, fitment on you, like playing with how it sits on your back, where it sits on hips, like, you know, where the straps and that are. I, I found that like I've doubled the comfort of the pack by just playing with it and getting it exactly right. Um, mm -hmm. I know you've got some, you've got a good tutorial. Um, it's on your YouTube and it, it's linked to your website too, I believe. Um, but like how crucial is having that pack fit spot on? Yeah, yeah, everything, yeah. Um, I mean, there's there should be some play in there, right? But mm -hmm. yeah, um, it's it's very very critical and going through the process correctly. I was just about to say um, that. Yeah, 
yeah, just you know, making sure that all the straps are loose. Um, you know, one thing we used to the first uh, two years we had what are called load stabilizer straps, so a strap that went from the frame down to the hip belt, mm-hmm. uh, and they're great when used properly. But we ran into ninety plus percent of our customers using them incorrectly, mm-hmm. and just couldn't figure out how to educate people enough because it was basically that you know people see a strap, they want to tighten it. Um, right. It's gotta be tight. Uh, so you put the pack on, you tighten up the load stabilizer straps and, and basically it kind of pulls the front of the hip belt up. Um, really they're supposed to just keep, you know, from sway. So as you lean left, the, the right side catches and acts as a brace and, gotcha. and stabilizes the pack. Um, well people would, you tighten them and then you take the pack off. Well, if you don't loosen those back up, the next time you go to put the pack on, you cinch up the belt and then you tighten them again. And then you, like, you go through this process to where, you take the pack off and if you just kind of held it out to your side, the belt's like pointed up at like a 45 degree angle because you just kept tightening those those tailor straps. And so people would send me pictures of like, Hey, the pack's sagging. It's really uncomfortable. And, and, you know, I could instantly spot what was going on and fix it. It's like a, Oh, Oh, okay. Now it's fitting great again. Um, but anyways, that long story short for make sure all those webbing and straps are loose. So the shoulder harness, the belt and your load lifters, um, start there. And then, there's this really funny perception out there that the harness dictates where the pack rides on your body and it's completely false. Mm-hmm. The, the belt dictates where the pack rides on your body. So gotcha. the harness is completely loose. You put the belt on and everyone's going to be a little bit different, but basically general rule is that the center line of the hip belt, there's a stitch line that goes right through the foam that should be at the very top of your hip bones. Gotcha. Uh, we, we want the weight of the pack getting into your hip bones because if it's sitting down lower, now it's pushing into the top of your butt. You're working different muscles that you shouldn't be working. They're trying to carry the load instead of your skeleton carrying the load. Um, so you simply just put the pack on and then tighten up the belt really tight, you know, really snug on the top of your hip bones. And then from there, it's. It, I try to describe it to everybody as – the harness should just very naturally curve over your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, with all the straps loose, they should just kind of hang there, uh, and that's good fit. If the if the harness is too low, um, then then it's just going to be contacting the top of your shoulders. And this was like with empty weight in the pack. But even even for me with like an 80 pound load in the pack, if I just stand up straight, there will be zero contact on my shoulders. Yep. Um, and that should be that. So that's proper. You. As you're climbing, you're you're walking, you naturally lean a little bit forward, which will put a little bit of pressure on your collarbone. When you go downhill, you kind of naturally lean backwards. It's going to kind of you're going to have a little bit of gap at the top of your shoulders. Um, but that harness just floats, and so I get a lot of guys that put the pack on and say, "Well, it's riding too low," and then so I shortened the harness, and it's like, "No, you just didn't put the pack on to begin with in the right place." Mm-hmm, uh, so I, it's definitely an area that I try to educate guys on and get them dialed in or they try to say that the the lumbar pad's sitting too low and, and to me it's like no you, you tell that lumbar pad where to sit it's not a function of anything <laughs> else other than you put it on your body you tighten the belt and and i think a lot of guys are afraid to um get the belt too tight mm-hmm. um you know I, the, it, it can't be too tight it's like no. I, I you know and obviously with like if i'm gonna put like a ridiculous 150 pound load in there that belt is as tight as i can possibly get it um, just cause that's what it takes to hold it up. Right. I mean, you got a lot of gravity you're fighting there. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter what, what pack it is. That's going to be extremely tight. And then you kind of distribute some of the weight on your shoulders from there. But 
Um, yeah, that's really it. And so you just get that belt tight. And then again, just cause there's webbing there, doesn't mean you got to like tighten it to death. So all I do is simply like, I, I kind of just call it walking the shoulder harness. I grab each side of the, the webbing from the shoulder harness and just kind of pull on one side, pull on the other and just kind of move it down until it's just snug. Uh, again, kind of like I can kind of roll my shoulders and, and, and have some gap and space in there. Uh, and then take, go to the load lifters and, and just snug those up as well. Um, you don't want to, even with heavyweight, you don't want to like yank on those things and pull them too tight. Um, and to me, that's perfect pack, pack fit. Um, and then again, from there, um, you know, even if I got like a five mile, hundred pound load out, I'll, I'll probably a couple miles into it, maybe shift, maybe tighten up yeah. the harness just a little bit and shift a little bit of weight to the shoulders for mm-hmm. a little bit, uh, just to give my hips a break. I mean, you kind of move it around, but, um, you should never kind of stray too far from that first, uh, how you first set it up. Yeah. I'm the idiot that uh, first contacted Steve because I broke load lifters. So <laughs> many years ago. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a bit, that was incorrect sort of uh, fitment. Got that yeah. sorted now, but that was trying to, uh, you know, carry that elk head and very, very poorly done. And uh, yeah, that was, <laughs> I think, I don't yeah, know. I was kind of in the middle of nowhere, like hating myself at the same time and abusing <laughs> everything that happened as I was walking down the trail and, I just pulled on the strap too too hard. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should be able to just completely yank on them, but if it wasn't uh, some, no, it was my fault. There was no, there was absolutely no failure of the pack. It was all me. <laughs> I jammed on that thing. I think I just had the shits that bad. But <laughs> the beers and the scotch and everything that night tasted all good. So it was sweet. But... <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> So, man, well, you know, thanks for giving us a rundown the pack and, and hopefully that kind of, um, you know, answers a few questions of, you know, what sort of guys can look into the pack and, and it, it is a little bit hard for us here that we can't get, you know, we can't run around and there's there's more and more guys that have got them now. So, you know, there's guys that have to share that sort of experience with the packs and um, on a per- back to you personally, you know, what have you got planned for, for this year as far as your hunting side goes? You got any just just doing your normal sort of elk and mule deer? Yeah, or? yeah, no, I am. I um, I applied for a Wyoming elk tag that I thought I was going to get. I got like nine points over there, but didn't get lucky and draw. Oh. Um, did you get then, caught? Did you get caught out on the special and the regular draw? I did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I got nailed. Oh too. no, well, yeah. I mean, I put in for a special one. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then other than that, Idaho's unique in that if we, uh, I've been applying for a sheep tag. I, I had a mountain goat tag a few years ago, which they're once in a lifetime here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I've been putting in for sheep and it's, you know, I got like decent 10% odds, but uh, this is my second or third year putting in for it with no luck. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, fortunately over the counter bow hunting is just amazing here. Um, I'm actually going to go go back to where when I was 18 and I first started bow hunting, um, nice. that we kind of got overrun with wolves. Uh, I left hunting that certain area in probably 2008, nine, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it got to the point where we were in contact with wolves every single day while we were bow hunting. Um, so, you know, fresh tracks, fresh poop, hearing them howling, seeing them. Yeah. Um, they were, they were thick in there and the, and the elk left and the elk that did stay there shut up and stopped talking. And, um, so anyways, I'm, going back there because i think it's improved a little bit and, and i'm kind of want to um see how it's going i guess yeah yeah that and kind of test myself you know like what's changed in 16 years am, am <laughs> okay. i a better so it really really wasn't the wolves it was just me <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah i'm looking forward to that i'm gonna go back there and 
give that a go. And it's, it's that I'm a, with an elk especially, I mean, I'll, if a spike comes in that first day, I'm going to shoot that thing in a heartbeat and, and get yep. that elk meat home in the freezer. And then nice. uh, fortunately I can buy an extra tag and, and maybe then I could be a little bit picky and mm-hmm. try to get a bigger bowl. But I really don't like, I'm all about the experience and I, you know, I love just to backpack and get out there and enjoy it and, and whatever animal steps in front of my arrow, uh, you know, so be it. So actually on that, I mean, and this is a question, it, um, it probably comes up a little bit with you, but you know, you obviously got the over the counter here there in Idaho. You go and draw that nine point, ten point probably next year, Wyoming tag. Do you get picker? <laughs> um, yeah, you kinda have to, I guess, I just because you spent nine, ten years applying for it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, that, that's not uh, for me that's not something that comes easy. I mean yeah. all my friends joke. I mean I and but it's very much true. Like I I, I get I just get excited, man. Mm. I don't care if it is a spike is standing in front of me. Like I get excited and I just want to kill it. Yeah. Um, and then I said I, I I mean we eat every drop of that elk meat, uh, and so I'm if I get the opportunity I don't look past it for sure. But that would be yeah I'd probably have a lot of people that would uh, kick me in the nuts if I shot a spike on that <laughs> if I drew a ten point Wyoming tag. So. I'd be kicking you for yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah I probably would try to hold out but it would be it'd be hard for it's me tough. so it's tough I, it's just not yeah so i'm not i'm not wired that way man i just don't uh antlers are cool and, and that's all great and i've shot some nice animals but uh um yeah i just i just thoroughly love just being back there and then killing something and getting that meat out yeah for sure and i mean look you know for for me i'm the first to put my hand up that you know i'm sort of going over there to chase the trophy because the effort for us to go over there is just incredible and yeah, you yeah. know we we you know honestly I probably have to call you for you know in Idaho like hey I got some meat for you because we can't do anything with it you know apart from what oh, we apart from what yeah. we're in a camp I've donated all my stuff so you know the three <laughs> that I've shot over there it's just all been donated and you know it feels pretty cool to be able to do that I've got to, I've got to yeah. be honest so absolutely and I, think, and I think being forced to take it out you know makes you makes you appreciate it a little bit more and you know yeah. certainly appreciate what you guys go through honey like you know the effort that it takes that's that's one cool thing about it. Can't just go over there, take it, take a photo, and you know walk on out. So, walk away. Yeah. 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 I mean, cool. to me, like I said, I I specifically search out hard hunts. You know, like I this, the the harder, the more challenging. Like you said, the, the <laughs> like packing out your elk and not having that horse schedule the last day. I mean that that feeling when you finally get back to the truck and crack open that beer. Uh, that one's that feeling's pretty hard to surpass. <laughs> you um, I got I got to ask you about the solid broadheads. Um. I'm yeah. not sure if you you sort of follow a lot of Australian hunting, but we've always been we've always been a solid sort of broadhead. We're big two blade, you know, mm-hmm. kind of uh, kind of guys. You know, a few of us shoot a solid three blade for you know various reasons, or we we jump between the two, which I do. Um, you're kind of a little bit sort of ahead of your time, by I must I must say, in the states because I've been involved in trying to talk a few guys around changing their setups and you know just trying to how how have you gone. You know what? Firstly, you know what come up with the design, and and secondly, you know what's your thoughts on the whole, you know, broadhead choice for for some, especially for some of these bigger game. Yeah. Um, you know, broadhead story is not unlike exo story at all. Just you know, um, obviously obsessive over my archery equipment and and trying to find something that fits everything I needed. Um, Idaho is one of the few states that you have to shoot a fixed blade broadhead. You cannot uh, okay. shoot a mechanical. Shit, yeah, they're I very... I, I did um, know that, but I forgot about that. Yeah, they're Idaho, Oregon, Washington. I 
there might be a few others left, but I know those three are for sure. Um, and it's a, you know, it's an interesting argument because I think a lot, I think, I think you very easily argue that a lot of less animals would be wounded from poor shots uh, just because guys don't have the time and capacity to, to properly tune their bow and hmm. they're forced to throw a big fixed blade broadhead on there that shoots poorly. Yeah. Um, so I think you could argue that, you know, while a mechanical may fail, people are probably going to consistently hit where they're aiming, uh, you know, better. Um, a- but anyways, fixed blade broadhead. So I was limited to that. Um, and, uh, you know, just started looking, knew nothing about making broadheads, but just thought I could do better than what I was finding on the market and, mm-hmm. um, started just kind of sketching up ideas and concepts and, and, uh, that one happened pretty quick, really. Um, <laughs> you know, started researching knives and cutting edges and you rarely ever see a knife with a straight edge on it, right? Like a yeah. completely flat blade. They, they, in general, like, you know, look at a samurai sword one of the most like efficient cutting weapons ever. Uh, it has that curved blade, so there's always it's always slicing, and it's never like this blunt force. Gotcha. Um, and so that's where the curved blades came from, just kind of researching that. And then I did a lot of testing, uh, you know, very crude, probably not any different than anyone else does of like, you know, I got a bunch of broadheads, started shooting them through steel and wood and, and all like plastics and anything I could just to kind of try to measure penetration. All the fun um, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think penetration is probably, like, hitting where you're aiming at is number one, and then number two is penetrating. So mm-hmm. once you do, you know, if you hit a rib, if you if you hit a little, shoot a little far forward and, and hit shoulder bone, mm-hmm. um, shoulder blade, getting through that is, is critical. I think a lot of animals are lost because of that. Um, and so I, what steered me away from three blades, because the penetration is really, really hindered, mm-hmm. um, and, and so it kind of steered me towards the two-blade direction. And then within two blades, the ones I tested with bleeders versus not bleeders, depending on the medium that I was shooting through, bleeders outperformed not, um, and mainly just because the two blade is just slicing through and, and making a slit, and then you know the hide and, and muscle fat seal tissue can seal it back up and mm-hmm. actually create friction on the back of the arrow as it's passing through. Um, and uh, and so yeah, I put the bleeder blade up at the very front of the broadhead with the intent that, you know, that's where your maximum energy is. So if I do hit a rib dead square center, um, I'm cracking through that with all mm-hmm. the energy that I got. It's not, the bleeder's not at gotcha. the back of the blade yeah. uh, where you've already lost a bunch of energy. Um, so crack through that immediately. And then the rest of the arrow shaft has a decent hole to pass through. So um, that was kind of the premise of, of uh, you know, what, what my thought process was anyways. And, and uh, the solids are, one efficient um killing machine as far as they pin it i've never um i think i did that yeah that's probably six or seven years ago now I've, yeah. every animal i've ever killed since then i've never not got a pass through mm, uh, it doesn't cool. matter if it's 10 yards or 70 yards on an elk i've got a complete pass through um which you know you get two blood trails one going out each side and, and animals die pretty quick that way so no, i appreciate um, that i don't mean yeah. it I, I like the I guess I like the tech behind it, you know, the, the thought right. process of why, why people, you know, think to use something or design something. And um, I think it, yeah, we kind of all mix it around. And, and it, I think it all leads to sort of most of the time, especially on the bigger game stuff, it all leads to the same thing. It's, you know, quick and efficient and, you know, hopefully yep. sort of, you know, taking everything down as quick as possible. So, and, uh, well, mate, what's, uh, what's the, I guess what's the big trip for you? You know what what's in the plans for you down the track? You know the 
what's the hunt that you're sort of looking forward to or you know if you you may get to do it you may not but what's the dream hunt for you um man i don't know uh that's a good question I, honestly i'm living the dream right now man yeah, <laughs> like, good on you. Be, being able to just go you know throw a backpack on and, and go hunt elk for you know the entire month of september and hunt mule deer and um man that stuff's awesome so i've been i've been extremely fortunate got to do some cool stuff sounds like you have to you know get up to alaska and do moose hunt and caribou hunt and hunt mountain goats and mm. um you know for me i like it's not so much the animals it is just being in the country and, and getting back there so yeah. there's some country uh I talked with pat about maybe getting over to nz um next year and and, and kind of backpacking into some of that gnarly country and hunting some tar mm-hmm. um to me like that like the tar itself would be cool to kill but just getting there and experiencing that country sounds oh, like definitely. it's pretty epic and, and challenging yeah. like i'm really looking forward to that uh really looking i'm going back up to the brooks range on another caribou hunt next year oh, which nice. we did that last year and, and just unbelievable like it was one of those like didn't matter what time of day if you pulled the camera out and just snapped a photo in any direction it was like something you'd want to you know have printed up and hang on your wall at home it was so gorgeous up there yeah um and then yeah man some other you know uh, you know, I'll do some, you know, instead of eventually I'll draw a Wyoming tag and, and do more of a trophy hunt there. And, and I, I'm really looking forward to just, you know, getting more opportunity and expanding and, you know, 99% of my hunting's just been inside of Idaho, which it's a phenomenal state, but yeah, just getting out and checking out new country and hunting new animals and meeting new people. And, mm. um, so I, I don't have any one hunt in, in particular, but just kind of all that as a whole just definitely gets me excited. That's so cool. Cause I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, oh, you know, I want to do this, this is what I want to hunt. And, you know, and it's cool to hear for someone that kind of has it at your fingertips, you know, you're kind of calling that like I am doing what I want to do, you know, and I, yeah. I think that's awesome. I mean, and I've got a vouch for the, you know, the hunting, chasing the species has allowed me to see places that I'd never see if I wasn't hunting. Uh, yeah. You know, I'd never yeah. go to the effort or spend the money to, to go to where I'm going, you know, if it wasn't for hunting and, you know, the, the, the chance to chase chase an animal in that country and, and all the same i want to do all the northwest territories the yukon i want to do all that as well over time and you know it's probably it's probably hindered a little bit of hunts back home you know so there's certain hunts that i haven't even done back here because of you know what i'm doing up there and and, and traveling across the, across each year and you know it's probably made it a little bit harder with time off work and, and financials as well but it'll all come in good time yeah absolutely <laughs> hopefully, yeah, I think hopefully anyway it just, uh, you know, my motto is just sit back and, and enjoy the process and where you're at as much as you possibly can because it's uh, someday you're gonna look back and go, man, those were the those were the glory days. So that's so cool, especially with kids. I mean, you know, I yeah, I look at now my little fellows. I got five, three, and or nearly five, five, three, and a newborn. But you know, the eldest is already so he's wanting his bow this year, and he's like, so when can I go and shoot a deer with you and all this kind of stuff? It's pretty cool. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, he's gonna be more fanatical than me because he already knows more than me on the tech side. So but, <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned awesome. that you mentioned there part of the, you know, part of the process is meeting new people. Um, you know, you, you said before that, you know, Northwest, you know, mountain challenge, uh, pure elevations on the, on the video side of things. And, you know, you obviously spent some time with the born and raised guys last year and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's obviously opened up so many windows for you to meet so many awesome people. Mm. is there certain people that have stood out to you that i guess you could mentor or is there been someone that's i guess been a guidance for you but they, they wouldn't know about it oh that's a great question um hmm. 
Yeah, I, I got I got nothing off the top of my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's. Um, yeah, no, I guess nobody directly in front of me. Um, and then, yeah, I, I guess it always blows my mind when, um, like, I, I'll talk, meet some younger kid, and he's been like, "Oh, I've been following you for ten years or something like that," and listen to every podcast. And I said, "That's all." Mm. Someone's following me. It just seems it seems surreal. Uh, I mean, but yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. So, I guess I, I mean, I look at it in the way of, and it kind of, I guess I could say that I feel involved with it as well. You know, you guys, and um, I've been talking to. Yeah, some other guys over there um, that I know there's a company close to you. Um, just being involved in it and being able to share the stories and then get asked questions about, hey, what what are you guys doing out there? You know, what 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 are you guys looking for? And just being have some kind of involvement like that is probably what drives me. I I don't I'm a bit the same. I don't see oh like that person is my mentor. Um, I've certainly got people that I look up to, but I think everybody has a collaboration. I think helps everything shift forward rather than the single people. And I think you mentioned that with like sponsors and all that kind of stuff. Like if you've got 20 people using a product for, because they want to over one person that's paid to do it, I know what means more to me. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's, uh, I hope I got you out of work and it's nearly beer time for you. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I know you're going to get home and, uh, I better get these kids off to school. So I'm sitting in a, in the bottom room, they've been instructed not to come down here. So <laughs> they've been really good. They haven't bashed through the door yet, so it's been really yeah. good. Well, man, well, man. Yeah, where, where can you have me on? Yeah. No worries, man. Where can everyone check out? I oh, know you've got like ten thousand businesses, but stick with the main ones. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> run it, run yeah, us through so the normal. Obviously, XO Mountain Gear, EXO Mountain Gear uh social media wise instagram it's uh, we use the handle at or uh, at hunt backcountry um and then sns archery which is spelled out sand so s-a-n-d-s archery.com uh yeah check those out those are the main two and and uh, i guess if you want to watch some like old videos of us hunting go to youtube and search pre elevation productions and some of our older uh, videos that we've did a few years back are up there so awesome and you got a cool um, podcast yeah. too it's hunt backcountry isn't it comes under yeah yep hunt backcountry podcast yep and I know, and obviously that's where I got a lot of my background info from. Um, but yeah, definitely a good podcast when it comes down to breaking down gear and stuff like that. Um, some of your rifle stuff, I'm not a rifle hunter, but some of your breakdowns and the testing that you guys done, that was damn fascinating. I remember you did one. You, <laughs> yeah, that was. Did you do like a five episode build up or something? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah we did. We that did was cool. Build. Like for someone that doesn't know, I'm first to hand up. Like I don't know rifles at all. Like I have them to you know, control a few ferals, but, um, yeah, that was interesting. Keep that stuff up. Do something like that again. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were, uh, that was a really cool series that we did. Cause I think both Mark and I are probably the same boat as you, like not rifle guys at all. So mm. totally approaching the subject as if we knew nothing cause we knew nothing and, yeah. and kind of going after it, you know, it was fun. So I think yeah, that's why I related to it so well, actually, because you, yeah. you were kind of on the same page and it, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, thank you again. And, uh, you know, anyone wants to check out, especially the packs, um, I can't, can't vouch for them enough. And, um, you know, check out xomountaingear.com and, uh, and obviously our Australian stockers, Pat at Boulder Creek, if you want to get your hands on them. Um, if you want to f- try and find someone that's close to you, uh, someone just needs to give me a message and I'll find, between Steve and I, we'll find out who's got a pack close to you. So we'll, uh, we'll get you to touch and feel. Absolutely. 
Awesome, man. Well, thank you very much. And uh, there's no doubt we'll catch you again soon. Yeah, have a great one. Awesome, man. Thank you. Guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Hunting Camp Down Under. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Hoyt Bowhunting. Year after year, Hoyt continue to be an industry leader. Hoyt have just released their new model bow for this year with a new alloy riser, Hoyt Nitrix. Featuring many of the premium technologies found on the Hoyt's higher-end models at a much friendlier price tag. Our friends at Abbey Archery have already received their first shipment and are ready for delivery. That's all for me this week. Good luck in the hills and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of the Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.